Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. In a sense, Bernie Sanders has already won. This is Bloomberg, sound on with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And I'm broadcasting live from Boston, Massachusetts, inside of the Bloomberg Bureau. I'm en route to New Hampshire for that primary. President Trump has been acquitted. We have the full analysis. What's next? What's next for President Trump? Is he emboldened? Is he not emboldened? And we have the latest on the Iowa Democratic Party. They're still releasing the votes. Buttigieg still up. Sanders in second place, followed by Elizabeth Warren, and then Joe Biden in fourth place. So lots to get through, policy politics. Matt Brooks, Republican strategist and executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition. He's down in D.C. helping me hold down the fort. And Scott Furson, former press secretary to Senator, the late Senator Kennedy. I can't believe I'm talking to a Kennedy insider here tonight. And he's a Democratic strategist and founder of the Liberty Square Group PR firm in the Blue Lab. He's here with me in Boston. But first, let's get a check of the headlines from my good friend, Nancy Lyons. Nancy? Thanks, Kevin. As expected, President Trump has been acquitted on both impeachment counts in the Senate. Chief Justice John Roberts announced the results. The Senate, having tried Donald John Trump, President of the United States, upon two articles of impeachment exhibited against him by the House of Representatives, and two-thirds of the senators present not having found him guilty of the charges contained therein. It is therefore ordered and adjudged that the said Donald John Trump be, and he is hereby, acquitted of the charges in said articles. President Trump is the third U.S. president to escape removal from office after being impeached by the House. Before the vote was taken, Utah Republican Mitt Romney broke with his party and explained to his colleagues why he decided to vote to convict the president for abuse of power. It was a flagrant assault on our electoral rights, our national security, and our fundamental values. Corrupting an election to keep oneself in office is perhaps the most abusive and destructive violation of one's oath of office that I can imagine. Romney paused and showed emotion as he announced his decision. He dismissed the argument of President Trump's defenders that the Senate should acquit the president and leave the judgment to voters in November. He said that, quote, the verdict is ours to render. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan says addressing the violence in Baltimore is an issue that cannot wait. In his State of the State address today, he called on lawmakers to pass legislation that would end witness intimidation and toughen penalties for repeat offenders who use illegal guns. There can be no more excuses, no more delays. The time has come for Baltimore City to finally take back its streets and communities once and for all. 
Democrats say their crime package calls for a review of current laws, more accountability, and smarter resource allocations. The race for the 7th Congressional District is set for now. Bloomberg's, this is in Maryland, Bloomberg's Amy Morris reports. Democrat Kwasi Mfume and Republican Kimberly Klasik have won special primaries for the Maryland congressional seat that was held by the late Elijah Cummings. It was a crowded field, 24 Democrats and 8 Republicans. Now, whoever wins in a special general election set for April 28th will serve out the rest of Cummings' term and would have to stand for election again in November to win a full two-year term. Amy Morris, Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. District officials heard testimony today on whether to move forward with a ballot initiative to decriminalize the use of magic mushrooms, certain psychoactive plants. The D.C. Board of Elections decided that the proposal can be placed on the November ballot for a citywide vote. Advocates say the chemicals can help those who suffer from addiction, PTSD, and depression. It's time now for the Beltway Business Report. Here is Bloomberg's Tracy Jonke. The World Health Organization says there are no proven drug therapies for coronavirus and that did not matter at all to Wall Street, which picked up and kept up the pace after reports said treatments could be a few months away. The Dow's up 483 points at 29,291. The Nasdaq is up 41 points at a record 9509. The S&P is up 37 points at a record 3334. And all without Disney's help. Disney Plus has almost half of Netflix's U.S. subscriber numbers less than three months after launch, but the cost is high. Disney's direct-to-consumer division lost almost $700 million during the quarter. New high-speed wireless networks are starting to fire up demand for pricier smartphones that Qualcomm makes parts for. Qualcomm after the bell is giving a strong sales forecast. Plans to expand the Baltimore Convention Center are literally heading back to the drawing board. The Baltimore Business Journal says the Maryland Stadium Authority has voted to develop new concept designs because previous plans would cost $1.5 billion more than projected. You're up to date on business from the Beltway to Baltimore. I'm Tracy Jonke. This is Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Thanks, Tracy. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Quick Take by Bloomberg, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nancy Lyons. Now to you, Kevin, in Boston. I'm in Boston. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Breaking news just within the last half hour, the U.S. Senate voted to acquit President Donald Trump on charges that he abused his power and obstructed Congress, ending a historic, bitterly partisan fight and leaving the final judgment on his actions up to voters in November. Mitt Romney, that's the one to watch. Mitt Romney was the only Republican to break with his party and convict Trump on the House's charge that he abused his power by seeking a political favor from the Ukraine government. Vote tally. Here we go, folks. The Republican-led Senate voted 52 to 48 to find Trump not guilty of abusing his power and 53 to 47 to find him not guilty of obstructing Congress. All right, impeachment's over. Of course, I was just reading there from the Bloomberg Terminal, my colleagues Stephen T. Dennis, Billy House, and Laura Litvin. Let's get fresh reaction tonight from Matt Brooks, Republican strategist, and Scott Furston, Democratic strategist. Scott's here with me in Boston. Matt, I want to start with you. Where does President Trump go tonight as a result of the acquittal? Well, he goes and celebrates, actually, because this has been the the last several weeks have been the the, the most uh, positive and incredible weeks uh, that the president has ever had. Uh, we obviously saw 
uh, an incredible uh, State of the Union address last night. Uh, the economic numbers are through the roof. The, the record highs on Wall Street, both uh, with uh, the 400-point uh, increase in, in the S&P today and NASDAQ hitting yep. a new record high. Uh, unemployment at the lowest levels, as, as the president said last night, it's a it's a blue collar boom and a blue collar uh, boom, a blue collar boom. Meanwhile, Speaker Pelosi ripping up the script to quote Tom Keene behind him. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's so. This has been a great couple of weeks for the president. He's got his highest approval ratings uh, of his presidency. He's higher than uh, where President Obama was in the Gallup numbers at this time in his presidency. So uh, I suspect uh, if he if if he drank, which he doesn't, uh, there'd be huh. some champagne uh, corks popping tonight because it's been uh, an incredible week. You know, fun fact that's something I have in, in common with uh, with President Trump. All right, uh, so Scott Burson, I want to play for you what. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts had to say just within the last hour during the historic vote on the Senate floor. Let's listen to Chief Justice John Roberts. Here we go. In this article of impeachment, 48 senators have pronounced Donald John Trump, President of the United States, guilty as charged. 52 senators have pronounced him not guilty as charged. I mean, we all knew this was going to happen, Scott, but you're a Kennedy guy. You worked for uh, the late Senator Kennedy. You know how the Democratic establishment operates. What's Speaker Pelosi doing right now? Well, I think, you know, there's a couple of things that sort of strike me from this. One is that, um, is that the Democratic uh, uh, caucus held, which I, I didn't, frankly, expect it to, given that it was a foregone conclusion that he would be acquitted on both counts. I assume that Senator Manchin or, or somebody else might break, break away. Um, Mitt Romney, my, uh, Mitt Romney and I both uh, lived in the same town when he was governor of Massachusetts here, so my neighbor. I'm a little surprised that, uh, that he broke with the Republican caucus. A massive surprise. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean frankly, I, I didn't think it, it, he, he had it in him. And I think, um, I think Speaker Pelosi did a good job sort of shepherding it through and should probably just kind of stand down. I think that, um, you know, I think that the president can now get on to the business that he wants to, which is properly obstructing justice <laughs> from here and between here and November. Wow, Matt, you hear that? Matt, where well, is no, I, I, I mean, yeah, I did, I did hear that. By the way, Kevin, <laughs> I like your chair. By the way, this is, uh, I, I may I, not. You're give the, sitting in my chair. I am sitting in your chair. I've I got can't the whole leave board. that anywhere. There, don't there's a touch lot of anything, bells Matt. and whistles. I'm going to see if I can land the plane. Oh, I gosh. don't know. Uh... Don't, uh, don't touch anything there. <laughs> Let me ask you this, uh, though. Uh, but Romney. I did want to make one point. I did, he, you know, um, Scott's point about Nancy Pelosi deftly leading the, the Democratic Party forward on this. I think she, she led the Democratic Party right into the ravine on the side of the road. I think that this has been a colossal mistake politically and tactically for the Democrats. Um, Van Jones had a great uh, op-ed today in, in The Hill in which he is pointed out that not oh, only is this, this, this is good yeah yeah ahead. not only is this uh impeachment effort uh uh hurt the democrats it's elevated the president uh, politically uh and it's also thrown the democratic primary process in disarray too as well right. so it's just been it's been I a wanna, mess for them i want to get to the caucus and the dems and the state of the union coming up in the policy i want to stick though with the impeachment acquittal for one second because there i want to i want to ask each of you about two folks i got my eyes on mitt romney and Joe Manchin. And we're going to start with Romney, Matt. So Mitt Romney voting to convict 
President Trump on one of the charges, where does he go from here? I mean, he inherits the, and I get that you disagree with him, but where does he go from here? What's the strategy? What is he thinking? He inherits the flake movement, the McCain movement. Why did he do that in a state that is deeply conservative? Is he eyeing another presidential run? I mean, what what's the politics of this? Uh, the politics of this are absolutely horrifically awful. I mean, this is, if you were doing this for, for any kind of politics, it was a horrendous decision. Uh, because, quite frankly, there is no uh, Jeff Flake lane or, or John, McClinton, John McCain lane for him in the, in the Republican Party anymore. Uh, the, president, uh, uh, the president's approval ratings in, in Utah are higher than, than, than Mitt Romney's. Uh, he's a man alone. And, you know, the, the old adage is uh, a leader uh, without any followers is just a guy taking a walk. And right now, uh, Mitt Romney, with the exception of a, of a bunch of never-Trumpers like Bill Kristol and others, uh, are pretty much out there on their own. But then again, having said that, I don't think he cares. This was an act of principle for him, uh, and he voted and, and made the what he thought was the principle decision, not the political decision. Well, to do this, and this is where I want to go with, uh, with, with uh, Scott Furston here, uh, he's a Democratic strategist, but to do this, to go against the president in his own party, does he lose leverage in terms of advocating for Utah and advocating for his constituents, does he lose leverage in those conversations now that he did this? Does he not put a target on his back, a political target? Well, I mean, he's not, he's not up for, uh, for election for a couple but in, cycles. But let me, let me rephrase the question there. But in terms of advocating for funds to Utah, in terms of it, not even an election issue, when he's on the phone, when he's got to get Leader McConnell on the phone, when he's got to get the White House on the line, why should President Trump return his calls? Well, McConnell needs his needs his caucus moving forward on on a whole host of things. And I mean, when I worked for Senator Kennedy, you, you would do um, you know earmarks and appropriations. It was very important to bring the bacon back back to the back to the state. It's not so. That's you know Republicans changed that I think for the for the better a, a bunch of years ago, and there aren't those same earmarks. So. The, the way that, that the way that you would punish somebody like Mitt Romney, I think, doesn't really exist like it might have uh, went back back in McConnell's day. Uh, what do you think, Matt? I mean, you know Trump world inside and out. You talk to these guys and gals. I mean, what what do you uh, do? You think he's going to be punished for doing this vote? Uh, I think he's going to be in Siberia for this vote. I don't wow. know if he's going to be if he's going to be punished directly, but certainly it's going to be a very lonely time in Washington for Mitt Romney. Certainly he's in the foreseeable out. He's future. Iced out. And, and and the answer to your question is if he wants to get something done, if Romney wants to get something done for Utah, he'll call Mike Lee and let Mike Lee make the call. All right. You heard it right there. Coming up, Joe Manchin, why did he vote to convict and not acquit? What were the politics of that? Plus, did the union fallout and Iowa, they're still counting the caucus in Iowa. I'm Kevin Cirilli <laughs> from Boston, Patriots country. Get me out of here. I'm in route to New Hampshire. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm broadcasting live from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm en route to New Hampshire, where we will, of course, be there for the New Hampshire primary. We'll talk about the Iowa results. They're still counting the caucuses in Iowa. And it looks like Buttigieg, former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, is still on top. We'll talk about that coming up. I want to get to the big, late-breaking news story of the past two hours. And, of course, President Trump acquitted acquitted folks the trial's over he's not going anywhere from office he's still in power for right now and of course we'll decide the voters will decide i'm not deciding anything. The voters will decide in november uh matt brooks is down there in washington dc he told me he's sitting in my chair i don't even know what that means he's a republican strategist and executive director of the republican jewish coalition matt don't touch anything down there i'm, I'm i gotta land the plane kevin i'm telling yeah. you this. <laughs> and scott Burson's here he's a democratic strategist founder of the <clears throat> liberty square group pr firm here and the blue lab which is a political candidate incubator for local state and federal level here in boston scott you used to be press secretary for Senator Ted Kennedy. Tell me a Kennedy story. A Ted Kennedy story. A Ted Kennedy story. Let me uh, think of it. You know, the one thing that I think people didn't know that about. That you can tell me on air. That I can t- <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Go ahead. That's, uh, <laughs> um, you know, he, was, he had such a loud voice. He was so boisterous. He was such a presence when he walked into the room. But he was actually quite a shy person. And uh, you, can, you can imagine that this is true. If you're the youngest of nine children at the, at the dinner table in the Kennedy household, you spend most of your time when you're significantly younger probably listening a lot. And it was a, a real great skill set that most politicians, Matt can maybe back me up on this, that most politicians don't have the ability to be able to listen to people, and it served him well throughout his career. Matt, do you agree with that? What'd you say? Wow. Wasn't <laughs> listening. See what he did there? You know, it's really No, I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, I do think it was it – was, uh, uh, who was it? It was Lyndon Johnson, I think, who once said, uh, you know, uh, God gave you two ears and one mouth, and you should use them in that ratio. Yeah. Well, listen to this. I, uh, John Seaton was on our show yesterday. He ran John McCain's presidential campaign in Iowa. Yeah, John's a great in, guy. It, he's, he's fascinating instincts as it relates to Iowa. Uh, and he was on yesterday and, and uh, was saying to me in the lobby of the Marriott in Des Moines as we were watching the exit returns come in, Scott, uh, he was saying how most politicians are actually incredibly shy because and, and, and it takes a lot out of them to be on all the time yeah. and to and to, the, you know, I, it, it, that was interesting. That's that's so true. And interestingly enough, the same thing holds true for stand up comedians, too, by the way. You'd well, be surprised. I, that I've heard as well. Uh, yeah, it is interesting, like extroverted introverts. OK, so we were talking in the break uh, about Matt. I want to get to Doug Jones, but first I want to cover Joe Manchin as it relates to the acquittal vote. Joe Manchin, a centrist Democrat from West Virginia in a state that President Trump carried by, what, like 20-plus percentage points, deeply, deeply conservative state, but Joe Manchin got reelected. He voted to convict President Trump. So there were some rumblings, there have been rumblings for a while now, that he would switch parties, that he would eye the energy secretary role. For him to do this, what is his play? I mean, he's doubling down as a Democrat and making a play, I would assume, for the Biden lane of the Democratic Party 
but his chances of being energy secretary in a Trump White House are slim to none, no? No, I think, again, it's an interesting, he's in an interesting space. He's one of those guys, though, that unlike, you know, in some ways, uh, Mitt Romney going forward, uh, the 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 administration and, and Mitch McConnell are going to need at times uh, Joe Manchin uh, in many ways more than they'll need uh, Mitt Romney. So it's an interesting dynamic that I think at least from wow. uh, the Republican side there may be a willingness to look beyond this vote uh, in a way that they're not prepared to this do. This is uh, why Romney. Matt Brooks' insights are so valuable. Did you hear that, folks? If you're in your car on your way home from work, wake up because what he said is important. President Trump might need might need Joe Manchin more than Mitt Romney. Think about that. Let that sink in, especially uh, as as the Senate math is, is, is in question and up in the air. Okay, Doug Jones. I'll start with you, Scott, first. And Doug Jones, is the, he's the one down in Alabama who is a Democrat who got, uh, who beat, you know, he who shall not be named. <laughs> um, and he's up for re-election. He voted to convict. I was struck by that because there was also talk that he would switch parties. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Judd Jones is maybe in a different category than Manchin or Romney. Manchin and Romney, I mean, we always talk about, we hope that they're all profiles in courage in terms of, of what they do. Um, it's so rare that we give an award out at the Kennedy Library for being a profile in courage. So there's it's gonna a great be, book, by the way. Yeah, there's going to be a political calculus, I think, both for Manchin and for Romney in terms of their reelect and their base. I also think Romney looks at this stuff as he plays long ball. I think Mitt Romney thinks someday he may be president of the United States, even though he's in his in his 70s. So I think he's, I'd put that calculus into, into Mitt Romney from the little, I, from what I know about him. Um, Doug Jones, I think, is in a different position. I think he could be the second coming of Christ, or he could walk around the Senate completely naked. And I'm not wow. sure, I'm not sure it would matter. He's, he's a that de- woke some people up. He's a Democrat in Alabama. I don't know that he controls his fate, really, in terms of what's going to happen there on, on his reelection. Well, especially if, with Jeff Sessions. I mean, who knows? But down in Alabama, it's getting interesting. Uh, Doug Jones, Matt Brooks, Doug Jones. No, I think you know he's one that that has been losing a lot of sleep. He was you know in, in the quintessential damned if you do, damned if you don't category. On one hand, uh, I'm sure part of his instinct was to was to vote to acquit the president and and uh, keep the the Republican electorate uh, at least somewhat mollified. Uh, but it would just absolutely decimate him with his with the Democratic base that he needs. Uh, as a foundation if he was, you know, at all trying to be competitive. So he just had no clear uh, good path. And I think this is just one where he just uh, held his nose and, uh, you know, we'll see where the – let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's, 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 in, he's in that – I mean, what, what – Matt, what do you think the, the, the chances of his reelect could could possibly be? I mean, what – what could he do to, uh, you know, he's by, by voting this way, he's got the everlasting love of the Democratic Party, and he'll get as much money and help as he needs, which he probably would get anyway. So, but what could he possibly do to enhance his position? No, I think this is the only thing that he, you know, it, it, I think he's definitely swimming a, a, a difficult upstream race. I mean, there's no question. Uh, and Kevin, I'll go out on a on a uh, limb and tell you, I'm not even sure that Jeff Sessions gets the nomina- nomination. I, I actually think that the nominee is going to end up being Congressman Bradley Byrne in that race. Yeah, um, I, you're like the eighth person who told me that in the last week. Yeah. Oh, I try and give you fresh stuff. Eight? No, you do get eight? Sorry. Matt, I wasn't even trying to be disrespectful. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about the State of the Union address and Speaker Pelosi ripping up the script. I, I, I Did you see this? It was all they were talking about in the airports today was I was flying around. She's ripping the pages up, then the handshake. But there's policy. we got to focus on actually what matters, the policy. And, of course, foreign policy developments as well. And the caucus. 
does it even matter anymore? Lots to get through. We're moving on from the impeachment. We're moving on from the impeachment. Did you hear that? We're moving on from the impeachment. I'm Kevin Cirilli in Boston, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. This is Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. I'm broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Boston Bureau. I'm en route to New Hampshire. Remember, folks, we're going to have special coverage all week long of the New Hampshire primary. I'll be at the debate on Friday night in New Hampshire. And, of course, that primary now is in a couple days, Tuesday. Tuesday, less than a week. And, wow, the Iowa Democratic Party, oh, boy, they had a (laughs) – They were just, yeah, we're going to leave it there. I don't think I can say the words on radio. Here in the Boston Bureau with me, first time on the program, Scott Burson. He used to be the press secretary to the late Senator Ted Kennedy. He's a Democratic strategist. And, uh, Scott, this is your first time on the show. Would you ever come back? Yeah, this is great. Great view. Yeah, it is a great view. The spread you put on is excellent. The food is wonderful. I appreciate that. And I get all, I'm looking out over Boston I passed where the historic Boston Tea Party was all those years ago when those brave men and those brave Americans tossed the tea from the UK. Now we've got Megxit. Uh, Matt Brooks, <laughs> <laughs> Christine Murata is laughing. And she's like, what are you even trying to do? Matt, our executive producer, uh, every day she says that, what are you trying to do? I don't know, Christine. Matt Brooks, Republican strategist, executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Matt, did you see Speaker Pelosi take, I, I said, did Tom Keene tell Speaker Pelosi to rip up the script? When she was ripping up the script, what, what were you thinking when you were watching that State of the Union last night? I was in, I was like in utter shock. I had asked my wife we were watching it together if I saw what I thought I saw. I just it it was you know so shocking to 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 see that and and you know it's it's the 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 equivalent of her you know giving the middle finger to the to to the president uh, which I suspect she would have liked to have done but but realized she couldn't so she ripped it up and it's it's interesting that you know this has sort of been uh, she's sort of been glorified by the Democratic caucus. Uh, for such a, a blatant, uh, disrespectful action. And, you know, not just disrespectful to the president. I know there's give and, fa- give and take back and forth about whether he, he snubbed her by not shaking her hand and the way she introduced him and all that stuff. But it was, it's, it's disrespectful to, to, to the country and to the people and, and those who, you know, who were highlighted in that speech as well. I just think it, it's, it's awful optics for the speaker. So she was asked... Uh, after, by some reporters on Capitol Hill earlier today if she would invite President Trump to give the State of the Union address next year. Take a listen to what she said. Hopefully not. I'm expecting another president. <laughs> so hopefully not, she said. She's hoping for another president. You know, between the handshake or the not handshake and then the, the ripping of the script, you know, Scott, I mean, it used to be that you would listen to these addresses and everyone in D.C., especially in the defense contracting world, especially in the policy world, everybody would listen to this because they would want to know what to expect for the year ahead. It used to actually be substantial. All of the coverage was about this ripping of the paper and, and everything. Yeah, but the, I don't know, I, I think people get, get a little too overwrought about this stuff. I, I feel this when, when the president does something that, that, that people think is, is petty, um, 
you know, the next day, next 24 hours, Democrats sort of rip their hair out and, you know, wring their hands and get us hysterical about it. And I think Nancy Pelosi sort of took a page out of the president's book by doing this, and here we are the next day talking talking about her ripping up uh, ripping up pages. But I think we've got to keep this in perspective. I mean, a, a, a senator from Massachusetts 150 years ago, Charles Sumner, was nearly beaten to death on the floor of the Senate by uh, I love that. I, I don't like this story, but I enjoy hearing this story. Yeah, Go ahead. The House and he got, he got a tunnel named after I mean, himself you know, for it, too. We talk about Wait, how tell this story in whole, because it's we have the time. Go ahead. Yeah, he had uh, he had he had uh, insulted the, the honor of the South and uh, and the congressman's brother, or so or cousin. So he came in and and trapped him under his uh, desk and nearly beat him to death. It took him three years to recover. So let's put that into some context. She ripped up a page. The president didn't shake her hand. I think we should. Um, I actually, uh, frankly, just taking a step back as a communications person, I thought the president's speech, although I might not agree with. Some of the facts of the things in it, I thought it was a really, really good speech. You know, it's his floor; he gets it for as long as he wants. And I thought he made a very, very compelling case by focusing and doubling down on the economy and the metrics, some of which I think were sort of happy math. But the uh, um, by doing that in that way, in that form, I thought it was extremely effective. I want to, I want to stick to the policy, but before I do that, I do want to say that in terms of the ratings, the, the ratings were actually up: forty-six point eight million people. Watch the president's State of the Union address. That's 3% more than the same measure a year ago. This, according to TV Line. Uh, Obama actually lost viewers during uh, the same. Obama and Clinton's second State of the Union addresses drew smaller crowds than their first, whereas George W. Bush saw some gains. This is according to TV Line, Matt Webb Midovich. Um, so 46.8 million, that's a lot. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a good size audience. Uh, but now I want to turn to policy. Matt Brooks, I want to play for you what the president had to say about his Middle East peace plan. Of course, I had that exclusive interview last week with Jared Kushner uh, about that Middle East peace plan. Uh, take a listen to what the president said on the Middle East peace plan. Here he is. Looks like we don't have that bit. Uh, we'll bring it to you when we have it. But what it looks like we're having some technical difficulties. All right, so the president reiterating the the Middle East peace plan. And Matt, I mean, when you heard that, when you saw the crowd reaction, the Democrats' reactions, what'd you think? Well, I think, look, I, I, and, and you know, I've said this several times on the show before. I, I was I was very honored uh, to have been at the White House last Tuesday. Uh, Recognizing that all past attempts have failed, we must be determined and creative in order to stabilize the region and give millions of young people the chance to realize a better future. So there he was talking about the Middle East peace plan. All right, go ahead, Matt. Sorry to interrupt. So you. I was saying, I, I was honored to be at the White House uh, last Tuesday for uh, the rollout with uh, the Israeli Prime Minister and the President, and it really was a uh, historic, uh, historic day. And I think what the President's doing is is game changing. And as I've said before on, on previous, you know, shows, there's a real widening gap between where Republicans are uh, as it relates to to the relationship with uh, the United States and Israel and where the Democrats are. And I think the fact that, you know, so many Democrats have, you know, declared this peace plan dead on arrival. They were, you know, they didn't show any support for uh, for the recognition of what the president's done in the State of the Union address when he when he referenced it. Uh, I think the message time and again is that, uh, you know, 
Donald Trump is without question the most pro-Israel president ever in history, uh, and the Democrats are, are really fighting amongst themselves to see who can pivot away from that uh, faster. It used to be, and, and, and Scott knows this, um, you know, in the days of, of, of Ted Kennedy and others, there was strong bipartisan support. Uh, Republicans and Democrats united on on support for Israel and, the, and and strengthening the U.S. Israel relationship. Sadly, that doesn't exist anymore today. Well, isn't the isn't the president? Um, you know, it, it's 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 an interesting gamble. And frankly, I think this is sort of indicative of his foreign policy, whether it relates to North Korea or other or other things. Whereas, you know, presidents take this on. It's almost a matter of sort of second term legacy issues. I mean, these are. You know, the, the return on taking on something like this domestically for a reelect might be small, I might argue, but they're huge in terms of history, right, and that significance. And in that way, isn't it incumbent upon the president in some fashion, in the, in the way that, that Jimmy Carter or others did, to, uh, to, to bring Democrats along with him on this issue? I mean, they, they've proven that they can be bipartisan and work out deal on a whole bunch of just standard policy stuff, transportation and other things. And on this one, it seems to me that uh, that he's using it politically in a way that maybe um, is exactly what he shouldn't be doing on this one. You know, I, I, that's a great point, Scott. And I think we've seen two real instances where we've seen the parties come together in support of uh, uh, a common agenda. One was uh, the criminal justice reform, and the other was USMCA. But beyond that, uh, you know, it's almost as if the president is on one side, then reflexively the Democrats are on the other. And, you know, you see it with the with the leading candidates for the running for president, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Buttigieg, all saying that uh, they would take a serious look at, at uh, uh, Israel's aid and leveraging aid to Israel for uh, uh, to make sure that the, it conforms with what they view as their policy vision in the region. Uh, that's unprecedented, and it's it's very sad because it, it's it's a monumental shift uh, from where the Democratic Party was uh, to where it is now, and, and not in a good way. All right, coming up, much more from the policy angle of all this and what's on their quick take radar. Uh, we're going to talk about Iowa as well. Panel stays. Scott First and Matt Brooks. I'm Kevin Cerilli. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. I'm broadcasting from the Bloomberg Boston Bureau. I'm en route to New Hampshire trying to get me some chowder in Patriot Country. Ugh. Here in... And, and you mentioned the Boston Tea Party. Wow, you've got, you've got it all down. You know, I'm trying. Chowder. Tea I'm party. trying big baseball day here. I hear through the grapevine. Scott Furson's here, Democratic strategist. That's Scott. You were the press secretary to the late Senator uh, Ted Kennedy. Matt Brooks is in Washington D.C. He's the Republican strategist, executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition. I got to tell you, we were talking about this in the break, Scott, a couple of years ago. And I'm looking at the dateline. I pulled it up on my phone when I was at Politico, and this was like years ago now. I interviewed Ethel Kennedy. Hmm. At Rory Kennedy's documentary, uh, she did this piece on her uh, on on. She got to interview her family for this documentary for HBO. 
this must have been like six years ago now. And I remember, you know, you interview a lot of different politicians or whatever, but when I was growing up in Delco outside of Philly, my late grandmother, Mimi, who I've been thinking about a lot these days, uh, told me that she was like the biggest Kennedy fan, Kennedy Catholic, you know, she grew up in Scranton and whatnot. And she, Ethel Kennedy was it. You know what I mean? And so when I walked into, I think it was the Motion Picture Association building down in D.C., and there's Ethel Kennedy. And respectfully to Rory, I was, you know, thought it was a good film or whatnot, but there's Ethel Kennedy. I was so nervous. And I said, Mrs. Kennedy, you know, my grandmother was a, was a big fan of yours. I, I would like to get a picture. She goes, all right, cool. And she was just so chill, and I just remember that, like, she was just no nonsense. Yeah, she was very uh, cool. We, uh, when when, when uh, Senator Kennedy's mother died, Rose Kennedy, in 1995, um, we were down at the, at the compound. Everybody was getting on buses to come back up. She was buried at the church she was baptized in in the North End. And there's Arnold Schwarzenegger, and there's oh, John, yeah. John Kennedy Arnold. Jr. and Caroline, and they're all there. JFK, and, George Magazine. And even with all that, um, and, and Ethel Kennedy's house is next door to the, where the senator's house was, and she would come out, it would still stun you, you know, like, that's Ethel Kennedy. You know, wow. That's, yeah. I know, that's how you, I mean, because some of these figures, you just, you know, they're, they're such giants. I mean, what would Ted Kennedy say about today with the acquittal? You know, it's, it's actually, it's an int- interesting question. I mean, I think you might wonder, I don't know what he, how we would sort of wrap his head around, um, you know, Donald Trump being president of the United States. I'm sure they knew each other, you know, just from, from being celebrities in celebrity circles and stuff. And uh, I, f- I found him to be, you know, there was always whatever he would say, and he'd be he'd be down there railing on the Senate floor, talking about how the president should probably be impeached for everything he does every day, all day long. But uh, but ultimately, on this, I mean, if you remember back to the Clinton impeachment, he and Phil Graham, who was a senator from Texas at the time, are the ones that in the back room when they were just meeting privately, all the senators worked out the deal that allowed for witnesses. And I think he would have looked at kind of that role to play. You know, how do you do this in a way that is going to elevate the institution um, in a way that it probably uh, didn't work this time? I'm not sure it was particularly elevated in the Clinton impeachment either, but uh, I think huh. he would look for that kind of a role. All right, Matt Brooks, tell me one thing on your radar. What's your quick take? My quick take is that um, uh, I think that uh, uh, BB will emerge victorious in the uh, upcoming elections in a couple of weeks in, in Israel. Wow. What's the date on that election or what month if you don't have the exact date? Uh, it's March 2nd. March 2nd. OK, what, what, what's changed? Why the shift? I just think the momentum is with him. I think he's shown himself on the international stage, not just with his visit to the United States, but his trip to Entebbe and the normalization, uh, uh, you know, with relations in sub-Saharan African right now, which uh, uh, they met with the Sudanese, I just think, on so many cylinders. Uh, he's demonstrating that he's head and shoulders in terms of leadership uh, and delivering for the Israeli people than any of the other candidates. You know what I think got lost in the shuffle in uh, the week of the Mideast peace plan, one of the developments, if not the United States, who? Who? Russia? China? To play referee in, in this? I mean, this is, this is imperative that America take the lead, is it not, Matt, in, in, in negotiating between the Palestinians and the Israelis? Because if we don't step in, the Russians would. Yeah, no, there's no question that, that the, the Middle East has always seen its share of power vacuums, and it's it's critically important, uh, you know, for the for the United States to, to, to be the central player there in, in order to keep the, the other actors outside of the game, uh, whether it's the, the Russians or the Chinese who are all looking for a foothold in that part of the world. Um, 
but you know, I think that's one of the things that was so important, so different that with the president's peace plan, uh, they took a look and and I know that you know you spent a lot of time talking to Jared. You know, they yeah. they they unlike previous administrations that when they came in they just take the Middle East peace process binder off the shelf and just try and recreate the same thing over and over again. They said, you know, we're going to look at this. We're going to find out why it didn't work. And we're going to, you know, go outside the box and do something radically different. And uh, it may work. It may not. But at least we know it's not the Einsteinian definition of insanity of continuing (laughs) to do the same thing over and over and over again and hoping uh, for a a different different result. result. You know, that's interesting. When I was writing in my journal after that Jared Kushner interview, I uh, I was I was noting similar something that you just said. My dad would always quote that Einstein, uh, that Albert Einstein quote that you just said. All right. You want uh, another Scott, bold prediction, by the way? Yes, but quickly. Okay. Uh, Tom Perez does not make it as chairman of the Ooh. DNC through Super Tuesday. Oh, all right. We heard it. All right. All right. We're, I'm gonna. I hear you. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna move on before I say something. Scott Burson, uh, Democratic strategist. What's on, what's your quick take? What's on your radar? A quick take. First of all, I endorse that on Tom Perez. Um, the uh, I I thought that uh, um, you know I thought the Democratic Party was going to wait till October to screw up the election, but apparently we decided we'd start right now and, and, and do it pretty quickly, which is interesting. The Kennedys are out for blood. Out for blood. I think we're. I'm 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 mad. Uh, <laughs> I'm mad. Because uh, it, it's, but I think we're focusing on exactly the wrong thing in Iowa, which is the screw up of the party. And what we should be focusing on are two things. One is, you know, if you're just looking at the results now and you didn't know about the screw up, Pete Buttigieg, even by a little bit, won the Iowa caucus, and there were five victory speeches that night. Poor Pete. I know. I had to cover <laughs> them all. Had to cover <laughs> them. And and that should have been such a clear stellar unbelievable out of nowhere he was not he was in the top four but never never really predicted to actually win the thing and he won the thing the other thing that's really really troublesome and why i sort of endorse the perez thing is that we didn't pump up the vote at all um the vote was exactly stagnant to four years ago and down from eight years ago uh, we're not. We've done some polling. We're in New Hampshire and South Carolina. We've done some polling. Independents don't feel welcome in the Democratic Party by a majority, about 55 percent. And if we aren't, and frankly, you know, we we weren't really appealing to independents in Iowa. They didn't come out and vote. We don't make it easy for them. I predict in New Hampshire, um, the vote, if the vote is pumped up, it will be because independents um, are interested. But we should be welcoming and make it easy for them, and we don't do that as a party. So smart, Scott. I mean, thank you for your your quick take there. Let me ask you a follow-up question. Biden, can Biden recover? Yeah, Biden is kind of the slow and steady, so I think it depends. He's, you know, trucking along. He didn't do bad, ultimately. He wasn't really participating in Iowa or playing in Iowa. Um, if he And he can afford, Bill Clinton is the last president to uh, become president with the last of the first four primaries. Biden could do that and go into uh, Super Tuesday and sort of just be the one who's kind of there and standing. Um, I think, frankly, I'm going to look for one thing in New Hampshire, which is I want Pete Buttigieg to be presidential. I haven't seen that in him. Um, he's the type of guy I'd be happy if he gave me a medical diagnosis. He seems very calm, and uh, you know I think he could deliver that. Very, but that's different from being presidential. And I think if he steps it up a little bit, I noticed today for the first time he actually wore a suit coat, which I think wow. is a step in the right direction. Wow, it's all about the suit. It's very George magazine esque. You know, you got to have that <laughs> GQ style. Listen, if anyone saw what I'm wearing right now, I'm I'm not in my TV clothes, and that's all I'm going to say. Sometimes you got to be but comfortable. You're not trying to be presidential. No, I'm not. <laughs> That's an understatement. Uh, what's <laughs> on my radar? Juan Guaido, 
I was really struck by this. President Trump meeting with the Venezuelan president, as is recognized by the United States and 50-plus countries, at the White House today. He was also a special guest at the President's State of the Union address. Uh, defying a travel ban in Venezuela after meeting with world leaders in Davos and the Secretary of State uh, during his Latin American tour, Juan Guaido taking on dictator Maduro. That does it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. I'm en route to New Hampshire, folks. We're headed to New Hampshire. Get me some chowder. But I'm still an Eagles fan, always loyal to Philadelphia. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.